The Doctor is In is a co-production of Ave Maria Radio and EWTN Radio and carried across the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network. Hi, Dr. Ray. I love your show. Let me show you what it looks like to be a holy person, and maybe you'll want to be holy like me. You just patted yourself on the back. You seem like an honest guy. But you're a psychologist. Do you have some advice? I don't know. I'm not going to tell you what to do. You're my second favorite Italian person. I think you have a way of making people feel relaxed. She needs to feel the consequences of being a jerk. You know, I was looking for a deeper answer. Obviously, I'm a failure. Obviously, I'm inept. You are awesome. Keep up the good fight, my friend. Now, from the studios of Living Bread Radio Network in Canton, Ohio, the hometown of Mother Angelica, here's Dr. Ray. I'm getting a little tired of the lack of respect that I've been getting. You know, I uh, went through nine years of college, get a doctorate. People say, so what? They handle those things out. Pieces of paper, it's all they are. Yeah, well, you know what I had to do to get my doctorate in psychology? Here was the test. Based upon your knowledge of their works, evaluate the emotional stability, degree of adjustment, and repressed frustrations of each of the following. Ramses II, Gregory of Nyssa, Hammurabi, Freud, Hitler, and Idi Amin. Support your evaluation with quotations. From each man's work, making appropriate references, it is not necessary to translate. Now, I made the mistake because my first year I was in engineering. So this was what they said for engineering PhD. The disassembled parts of a high-powered rifle have been placed on your desk. You will also find an instruction manual printed in Swahili. In 10 minutes, a hungry Bengal tiger will be admitted to your room. Take whatever action you feel is appropriate. Be prepared to justify your decision. So as you see, my education, Mr. Ziegler, was not a cakewalk. Good to have you with me, Dr. Ray Garendi, here. The program, The Doctor is in, as always. This is the variant. I used to say version. It's now variant. By speaking of variant, I saw... This was a report, I forget from exactly where, it was a reputable place, that pretty much everybody now in the U.S. has antibodies to COVID. You would expect that, would you not? But anyway, now where is where is this? I was looking at this. I was going to, this was going to be my, my man log here. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. We, we label kids with a lot of personality labels that are false. One of the more common ones is he's an angry child. Parents will come to my office. Sometimes that's the main referral. Why are you here? Our son's just angry. Well, how old is he? Eight. So you have an angry eight-year-old. Sometimes you get an angry three-year-old, an angry four-year-old. I ask a, a question. If you gave him everything he wanted every time he wanted it, would he still be angry? Oh no. No, he he wouldn't be angry. We wouldn't we wouldn't see that. So is it safe to say that what you're dealing with is not anger? 
because see, anger sounds like this is some kind of temperamental characteristic. He just he's just trip switch. It's the way his kid is. He's wired to be angry. Or is it more accurate to say he gets frustrated when he doesn't get his way? Now, see, that's much more common, and it doesn't bespeak of a temperamental characteristic. If you have an angry child, what are you going to do about this? You know, something in this kid's wiring is making him this way. What are you going to do? But it's much more amenable to correction if he's frustrated. Parents will say that their three-year-old is an angry child. You know, I have rarely seen an angry three-year-old. I don't see three-year-olds that I look at and think, whoa, this kid's angry at the whole world. This kid's just angry at life. This kid is angry at the fact that he's only getting $22 a week for an allowance. This kid's just angry. No, you don't. Three-year-olds are not naturally angry. They are naturally fitful. They are naturally erupting. They do those things because they got no self-control. And they can look angry. See, what we do is we extrapolate. If I, as a grown-up, acted like that, that's anger. But this three-year-old's throwing himself on the floor and kicking something over, that must be anger, too. No. No, that's a three-year-old that's frustrated. He's finding out the world isn't rotating the way he wants it to rotate. So I would say about 90 to 95% of the people who come into my office talking about an angry child, especially under age 10 or 12, the kids, that is, not the parents, don't have an angry child. They got a kid, and as we explore it, and as I probe, that's psychology talk, we probe. We don't ask. We we probe. Sounds much more deep, doesn't it? Psychologically speaking. As we probe into their approach to this child when he gets frustrated, we find that much of the time they're not firm enough. They're not calm enough. They're not consistent enough. And so what happens is he knows if he pushes harder, he gets what he wants. Or at least he can create enough chaos to get what he wants sometimes. And that breeds... An element of frustration when I don't get what I want. A parent will say to me, you know, you'd think he gets what he wants 90% of the time. You'd think he'd be able to deal with the 10% that he doesn't get what he wants. I said, no, it's the other way around. The more you get what you want, the less able you are to accept when you don't get what you want. If I spoil you 99% of the time, And 1% of the time, I deny what you want. That 1% of the time is going to meet an eruption. If you only get what you want 50% of the time. I'll give you a, a life example. My parents grew up in the Depression. Whole country was depressed. Laying on the couch eating bonbons. People would say, you're a fine country. You're a nice country. Other countries like you. Why are you so depressed? Well, my mom didn't have much. She's very poor. So was my dad. They were poor. They didn't know they were poor. They just thought that's the way it was. That's the way you live. They didn't go, we're poor. But by today's standards, they would be extremely poor. But they didn't get what they wanted most of the time. 
So they got used to that. But when you get what you want most of the time, you don't get used to when you don't get what you want and you look angry. But it's not anger. It's frustration. That's a better way to look at it because it's more realistic. It's also more fixable. All right, when we come back, I will dive into these e-persons. I'm Dr. Ray, and I thank you so very much for joining me. What's the deal with Dr. Ray? I mean, is he a psychologist or a comedian? (laughs) If it's central to the faith, you can find it on EWTN Podcast Central, featuring the best of EWTN Radio, as well as faith-filled podcasts from our friends and affiliates across the nation, all in one place, all free. The destination for great Catholic audio programming is EWTN Podcast Central. It's like podcast heaven. Visit EWTN.com slash radio slash podcasts today. As a Catholic dad, I know how frustrating parenting can be, but it doesn't have to be that way anymore. I'm Dr. Greg Popchak from More to Life, inviting you to become a premium member of Catholic Home. That's CatholicHOM.com. It's an online community dedicated to supporting faithful parents like you. At Catholic Home, you can chat with our team of family life coaches every day, get expert support with discipline issues, self-care, creating a stronger marriage, living your faith at home, or just coping with the stress of being a Catholic parent in today's world. In addition to the personalized expert support you'll get as a premium member of CatholicHOM.com, you'll get access to tons of creative resources, entertaining videos that teach your kids how to get along with each other and love the Lord, downloadable activities, monthly live parenting Q&As, a supportive community of faithful Catholic parents, and tons of other benefits, like my Bedatitudes podcast. Go to CatholicHOM.com today and become a premium member of the Catholic Home community. Again, that's CatholicHOM.com. I can't wait to see you there. Underwritten in part by the following nonprofit. Do you have an insurance plan that pays for everything? even things you don't believe in, there are options. You can join Solidarity HealthShare, a faith-based health sharing community. Plus, Solidarity HealthShare can save you money with prices starting as low as $384 a month for families. Call to see how much you can save. 844-398-9399. That's 844-398-9399. Nice to have you with me. All right, one more PhD. This is difficult. Closely related to psychology, and I I didn't minor in this, um, but I, I I had courses in it. it was sociology. This was the uh, test for getting your PhD in sociology. Estimate the sociological problems that might accompany the end of the world. Construct an experiment to test your theory. Use charts if appropriate. I did minor in philosophy. Philosophy is one of those minors that will mess up your head for the rest of your life. Sitting in class, listening to my professor, I didn't think to myself... There is a person up there writing on a board. 
giving us some information while we sit here at these tables. No, you don't think that when you're in philosophy. You start to wonder, can I trust my senses? Am I in some type of parallel sensate universe? Have I degenerated into solipsism? How can I know? That's what happens. It's just, it's just philosophy is just something that messes your head up for the rest of your life. All right, enough of those uh, PhDs. Let's go to our first E person. Guess what? Now, by the way, that, that usually, my little kids used to do that. Dad, guess what? And then I'd say, I don't know what. Guess what? Now, when you can guess basically the whole world and of no limit to the possible combinations of events that you could guess, but they, they say, guess what? They just, they keep going because they want you to guess. So what I would do is I'd make some wild guess. I'd make some bizarre guess. There's a rhinoceros in our garage. Oh, come on, Dad. Make it a good guess. Well, this was this was sweet for Mom here, but, but she's got a bit of a shell-shocking problem. She says, guess what? We just found out that our 17-year-old son is having relations with his girlfriend, who is 15. He doesn't care about the legality of it because, let's face it, they don't enforce the laws unless the girl or her parents press charges. He has also decided he does not believe in God at all. Now, I often find it fascinating when you get a kid that age who decides that the whole God question is no longer one he even wants to think about. He has decided, which is a way of saying, I declare. I declare there is no God. So the first thing I want to know with a kid that age is, how'd you come to that conclusion? What is it that you have decided that God does not exist? And then I would, I'd do one of two things. One, I'd ask him, I'd, I'll take the general approach first. I would ask him, I've got some things I want you to read. And there's some easy books, The Case for Christ, The Case for Faith, all kinds of all kinds of easy-to-read, nice defenses that make a, make a pretty good case that God does exist and that Jesus is God. And if Jesus is God, that's really, I think, the most potent evidence that God exists because Jesus was a historical individual that you can look at and decide who is he. He is also rebelling against our values by blaming the church for them all. Which came first here, the chicken or the egg, to use a cliche? In other words, did he want to have relations with his girlfriend, therefore he didn't want to have moral compunctions, so he decided, well, I don't have to worry about moral compunctions because there's no God. And the church and my parents' ideas are way off, so therefore I can pretty much do what I want because that's what I want to do anyway. I don't want to feel guilty. I don't want to feel bad, etc. <clears throat> so for him, theology of the body and reasoning and that sort of talk is useless. What I have decided, now this is mom speaking, if he thinks he is old enough to have relations, then he is old enough to talk openly and candidly about relations. I'm getting a little nervous right now. 
I think parents need to be empowered with this statement, as so many of them don't feel comfortable being open about this issue. I agree with you on that. All right. I do agree with you that many parents don't want to approach this, especially as it's happening. I will be discussing with my son the emotional aspects and especially how it affects girls. The physiological changes reduce oxytocin and reduce bonding with each new partner. The future for this poor girl is she now will likely have relations with future boyfriends. And the likelihood of an unwanted pregnancy is almost guaranteed if she starts to be active at this young age. All right, let me stop right there. All of that is appropriate. All of that could be helpful. The chances are very low because it's going up against a primal urge. And it's going up against a young man who doesn't see anything wrong with what they're doing, at least according to how he's presenting it to his mother. So those are all good things, and they would do well to be said. But to expect them to then get him to rethink what he's doing, I believe the odds of that are long. Okay, so let's just lay that aside for a moment. The girl's mother has placed her on birth control. Mm -hmm. That tells you a lot, a lot. You might want to bring up to your son since she's been placed on birth control that he may not be the only one or the first one. Now that might shake him up a little bit. It also means that the girl is probably being raised very differently than you would like to raise your son, which means that there'll probably be a whole bunch of other areas where she will give him ideas that will turn him away from the ideas that you've tried to raise him with. I will print out information for them, meaning the parents, about the nearly 30% increased risk of breast cancer for girls using hormonal birth control because this information is not made widely available. I will be approaching this situation from the aspect of him thinking of her future and that if he cares about her like he thinks he does, he will care about her life after him. Well, see, now there's the problem, Mom. Uh, At this point, he probably thinks there isn't any romantic life after him because he's it. They're it. You might want to ask him that. You might want to say, well, you know, it's just kind of a temporary thing here, son. Or in fact... You guys thinking long range. I guarantee he's going to say we're thinking long range. Uh, He will care about her life after him, not just in this moment. He's obviously not serious enough for a lifetime commitment to her at his age, which even he admits. I wonder, Dr. Ray, if you could address this issue of teenage relations on your show. Well, we've definitely dealt with it many times particularly in the arena of those children who are rebelling against both parents and God and are influenced by the culture and peer pressure. That's true. It's a, it's massive influence. Massive. If you want a statistic that will shake you up, a recent survey said the percentage of people who enter marriage as virgins is 3%. Another survey said that 86% of those surveyed, and I really don't know who they were, believe that living together before marriage is fine. Even though it dramatically increases the divorce rate if you get married. So, 
What I'd like to say here, Mom, is that your approach in talking this through with your son is one element. If you're expecting that it will make, will make any difference in his relations with this girl, I think you'll be disappointed. I could be wrong, but I think you'll be disappointed. And I don't base this upon your individual circumstances. I base it on what they call baseline prediction. Baseline prediction means you have a sample of people in similar situations and what they do. If 86% of them don't respond to the parent's explanation and you predict there's an 86% chance that in this particular situation he's not going to respond to the parent's information, then you're going to be right 86% of the time, roughly. Now, I think you're going to be faced with a decision after this. What are you going to do about him having relationships, relations with this girl. Are you going to say you can't be alone together? She can come here under our supervision, but you can no longer go pick her up. You can no longer go out places. You can't do that because what you're doing, as I have explained, is harmful in all these ways. See, Mom, if it is harmful in all the ways that you explain, then why would you not say, okay, I can't let you harm yourself or her? I have to stop you. Because, and this relates to something I've talked about frequently, we as parents are becoming more and more afraid. We're afraid of our child's reactions when we stop them from doing self-defeating, destructive behavior. The other thing I would do is I would definitely meet with her mother or her parents and say, this has come to my attention that this is happening. How would you like to approach this? Now, again, you might say, well, I I don't want to open up that can of worms. But if the mother has the girl on birth control, then you probably can assume, unless, unless this is for medicinal reasons, that mother suspects she would be active. I think you are very well predisposed to tell him, even though the law might not pursue this, even though you don't think her parents could pursue this, they could. So therefore, I'm not going to allow you to do something that is illegal And can get you in serious trouble. I had a friend whose son spent time in jail because he had relations with a 15-year-old. He didn't know she was 15. He thought she was older. Someone in authority decided no good. And in fact, he got convicted. So that If nothing else, Mom, is reason for you to say, I can't let you do this anymore, should you decide to go that route? If you know a child is doing something that is harmful to them and to someone else right now and has the potential to be seriously much more harmful, should they continue? 
then as a parent, what do you do? Do you say, well, I hope they listen to reason? Or do you say, I have to do what I have to do to stop this? She is 15. I would also wonder, even though her mother has her on birth control, if mom knows that she's active and what mom's reaction would be upon finding out. With Teresa Tomio. On this show and on this network and uh, in many of our other outlets that we have through Ave Maria Radio and EWTM, we're always going to keep you up to date on what's happening in terms of the culture and how toxic the culture is. Certainly, we talk about that uh, every week. So you can navigate the media landscape, so you can learn about the challenges and be well aware of them. That's one thing. We talk about religious liberty issues. We talk about the attacks, of course, on, on the pro-life causes. We need to be aware of all that, which is why we talk about it. So we give you the tools, we give you the information, the research that we come up with as writers, as producers, as presenters, as talk show hosts, on and on and on. But at the end of the day, what do we need to do when we know this? We should be speaking out even more loudly and on a regular basis. Catholic Connections, Teresa Tomio. Weekdays, 9 a.m. Eastern on EWTN Radio. Sin creates a proclivity to sin, the Catholic Catechism teaches. It develops vice by repetition of the same wrong act. Thus, sin tends to reinforce and reproduce itself. Vice can be linked to the capital sins, which are called capital because they can engender other sins and other vices. The capital sins are pride, avarice, envy, wrath, lust, gluttony, and sloth. Sin is a personal act, but we can also be responsible for the sins of others under certain conditions. Sin can make men accomplices of one another, the Catechism warns, causing concupiscence, violence, and injustice to reign among them. This is Peggy Stanton, and this has been the Order of Malta's Minute with the Catechism. interesting one here, somewhat related. I suspect that my son, age 14, is smoking away from home. He denies this. Well, how do you suspect it, Mom? You suspect it because you smell it? You suspect it because who he's hanging around with? How do you suspect it? No one in our family smokes. We've made it clear how we feel about the issue. I'm not sure how to approach this any further, if at all. Once again, 
This is an example of a teen, typically, doing things that are harmful to them. And they don't see any harm in it. And they'll do it when they're out of your sight. So the question becomes, are they trustworthy enough to have the freedom you're giving them? You say, okay, but he goes to school. Got it. Likely that he's smoking at school or sometime after school with buddies. Or does he go to football games or basketball games or sporting events with his buddies by himself? Where's he gone? What's he doing? So the question that you wrestle with is, do I trust him? If you say, I... I don't want to be I don't want to be hovering over him, which you're not really hovering over him because you're basically saying your social movement is dependent upon when I think I can trust you with this. I don't know what the statistics are on 14-year-olds who start smoking and remain smoking somehow some way as adults. I don't know. I do know that of adults who smoke most started as teenagers shows you the addictive power of nicotine and the additives so the question becomes for you as a parent how do I reduce his opportunity to do this now given that he says I don't you're likely to experience some high dudgeon some incense at the fact that you are restricting some of his movement on the basis of nothing he's told you I don't do this so I guess it comes down to how confident are you in your conclusion that he's doing this I mean, if you're, if you're smelling smoke on his clothes, that's pretty confident. Of course, he could say, no, I was around guys who smoke, but I don't. You could eliminate his money supply. You could do that. Now he'll have to bum them, which at some level means he can only bum a few. He can't have a whole pack. You might also ask who he's hanging with because... 14-year-old's behavior is highly influenced by who they're hanging with. Highly. So what do you know? What do you know about the kids he's hanging with? And you might extrapolate this a, a shade further. If he's smoking with a bunch of his buddies, let me digress for a moment. There are many of you older listening thinking why come on I did tell when I was a kid you know that's just kind of a back then it was a rite of passage you know you kind of snuck away and took a couple of drags true true Um, but I think it's safe to say that the general level of sneakiness and acting up of kids two generations ago three generations ago was much lower much lower. Now, um, 
smoking can be just one part of what his friends are doing, want to do, attitudes they have about everything. So it does need to be explored. You can tell him. I don't have hard evidence, but let me tell you why I think this is so. And I want you to know I'm going to keep a very close eye on all this. And I think if, in fact, this doesn't stop to my satisfaction. Now, the danger in, in explaining it that way is that he'll just say, okay, I'll just be more careful. You know, I, I'll, I'll take my shirt off before I smoke so you don't smell a smoke on my shirt. Whatever then you will tell him that, that his movement as a 14-year-old will be restricted. I had uh, six or seven kids at one point in my home, my children, who were all teenagers. Uh, the age span between my oldest and my youngest was 12 years. The 10 kids, 12 years. So at that point, we had six or seven teens. Now, I know that teens like to do things secretively away from their parents' eye and earshot. Creates a sense of freedom. And if they view their parents' rules as unreasonable, which my guess would be that your son's view of your stance on smoking is kind of unreasonable. It's not that bad, Mom. Then he thinks he's perfectly justified in doing this. So he doesn't see anything wrong with it. Now, with my kids, one of the rules I operated out of is that if I think you're doing something that hurts you, I then reassess dramatically your level of movement, your time away from my eye and earshot. I have to. Your freedom depends upon your trustworthiness. It does not depend upon your age. It does not depend upon group freedom. Now, do I brace myself for the sense that they're being grossly treated unfairly? Yeah. I can't expect them to say, well, Father, I know you're doing just this for my welfare. And since I can't control myself, I'm so happy that I have you as a parent who can control me. Yeah, right. That may be thought 10 years down the road. So glad I had a parent who did control me. But at the moment, no. No, you have to act as a parent against what the kids want. And you have to be willing, especially in this culture. This is not a culture who thinks like you. It isn't. 60 years ago in this culture, you had many, many more people on the same parenting wavelength than now. And you did not deal with the shaping influences that are out there like now. So as a result, when you had rules, your kids didn't like them. But they didn't get resentful because they thought, how did I get stuck with this Neanderthal? But you still have to have the same strength of resolve as a parent. Thanks for joining me. This is Dr. Ray.
60 Seconds with Father Mitch Pacwa. Within the people of life and the people for life, that's who we are, the people of life and the people for life, part of our self-identity, the family has a decisive responsibility. This responsibility flows from its very nature as a community of life and love, founded upon marriage and from its mission to guard, reveal, and communicate love. The family and marriage has a mission to guard love, to protect it from false forms of love, from false uses of people, using people and abusing them. It also is to reveal love and communicate love. This is part of the family's and marriage's purpose. You reveal love to the world. You know, people say, oh, marriage is just a piece of paper. That's baloney. This is you saying to the public, I'm loving my wife and my husband and my children till death do us part. The people you know and trust are on EWTN. The Catechism of the Catholic Church on Animals, paragraph 2417. God entrusted animals to the stewardship of those whom he created in his own image. It is legitimate to use animals for food and clothing. They may be domesticated to help man in his work. Medical and scientific experimentation on animals is a morally acceptable practice if it remains within reasonable limits and contributes to caring for or saving human lives. It is contrary to human dignity to cause animals to suffer or die needlessly. It is likewise unworthy to spend money on them that should, as a priority, go to the relief of human misery. So the Catechism is quite clear. We have a great duty to exhibit kindness to animals and at the same time understand that animals were created not for their own sake, but for the sake of the human. Cresta in the Afternoon, weekdays at 4 Eastern on EWTN Radio. The doctor is in. Now, don't you feel better? Thank you for joining me. Dr. Ray Grandy here. This is the e-person variant of The Doctor Is In. We air this typically on Mondays, although every so often we do have a Q&A on Monday. We have three sons, all of, all of whom are homeschooled. They are close brothers, and they get along rather well with each other. Nine, ten, and thirteen. They used to go to the library, to kids' events, but not so much now. Here's my question. Should I be concerned that their friends, and he's got that in quotes, are each other? Now, i got to stop right there. With the onslaught of all the experts the past 50, 60 years, all telling you to look out for hidden psychological ramifications. It has made parents endlessly worry about endlessly matter, endless matters. The question is, for dad, should they have friends other than their siblings? They're homeschooled, so they don't necessarily get out into the public school world or the private school world? Is this deleterious? 
he said, and this this confirms what I had just said. I had seen a reference to the importance of friends for teens, and so I am concerned. Now, now ponder this a second. Here are parents who homeschool their children. My guess would be that if I were to ask them, how are your kids doing? Oh, they're doing fine. They're doing fine. They get along with each other. Their mood's good. We have a nice family life. They're doing fine. But you see the, the unspoken, at least before now, worry. Am I missing something? When I wrote my first book way, way back, 1907, it's titled You're a Better Parent Than You Think. And that book was written because I was in a mental health center at the time and I was just shocked at parents coming in with all kinds of worries and concerns that were beyond what you might call typical concerns of parents they were they were psychological concerns what 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 could i be doing psychologically wrong that i'm not aware of or that i'm deficient in the oldest has no desire for other friends he's close to his confirmation sponsors a woman in her late 60s or so he says he'll wait until he goes to franciscan university for other friends Okay, take him at his word. I don't really have that much desire for friends. The question is not, do children need friends to be ultimately well-adjusted? The question is, what effect on the kids who might want some things and not get them? And even at that... That's still a vague question. So the oldest is saying, yeah, I, I really, I really, I'm fine. Dad, I'm fine. Okay, is he? Well, he seems it, but who knows? You know, I read that article that said he needs friends, and maybe he doesn't even realize he needs friends. Sometimes you got to take what the kids tell you at their word. And this, I think, confirms. We have striven to protect them from the surrounding culture. That's true. That's probably the number one reason why parents homeschool. They want to slow down the pace of the children becoming worldly. Children are going to become worldly at much earlier ages than ever before because the forces that can shape them can come into the house easily. And furthermore, many of the children that they do hang around with in various places are being socialized very differently, much more according to the pace of the world. So folks, are, the parents are saying, look, we we're homeschooling them. We want to have a good relationship with them. Now keep in mind, this is an, a 9 and a 10-year-old. These are little kids. He says, they're rather good kids. They eagerly serve at the altar at daily mass. And it's their idea. I had a mom that I used as an example in that first book, You're a Better Parent Than You Think. There was a chapter that I had called, Is My Child Normal? I talked about how parents are hypervigilant to the fact that their children might fall outside 
of an appropriate psychological range for adjustment. She had a 14-year-old. She said, he's pleasant. He isn't disrespectful at all. He's helpful around the house. She was a single mom. She's helpful. He's helpful around the house. He's a joy in my life. And then she said, am I missing something? And I asked, how's, how's that? Well, everything I've read said that adolescents can get surly and difficult and moody and the hormones are surging um, and he's not like that. Is it is it possible he's just stifling it? So you see, when she has this sweet kid who's cooperative and pleasant, she still found a way to worry something could be wrong. My response to dad here is that you look at the picture. The picture is they like each other. We got a great family. They love their faith. Uh, their best friends are their brothers. Cool. You know, in much of human history, children did not have a wide circle of friends. And the reason for that is they didn't have group education. Not everybody went to an environment where there were 20 and 30 and 40 and 50 and 90 and 100 and 600 others their age. They didn't do that. Their predominant socialization and connection was family. But Dr. Ray, families were bigger then. Yeah, but they still weren't a class size of 26. Dad goes on. The oldest is also very much too talkative, particularly about his subject of NASA and SpaceX. He doesn't stop unless we insist. Okay, so insist. <laughs> So I'm concerned about that, too. Once again, this talkative kid, he's got a passion and some interest. He doesn't know when to turn it off. So the parents say, hey, you're getting carried away, son. You're interrupting. That's enough. Should these things, per se, be concerning? You see what I mean? So much of raising kids is that they present us with all kinds of characteristics, all kinds of habits, all kinds of perspectives, all kinds of life views, all kinds of circumstances, all kinds of decisions. And we as parents respond to them in many ways. But we don't leave it at that. We always ask, what am I missing? What a tormenting black cloud to hang over parents. I talked about that in You're a Better Parent, too. I talked about if I wanted to create a set of ideas that could torment parents, I couldn't do much better than to say, in your parenting, if you get too far off of psychological normalcy, your child is going to react and and you can't always know because it's buried down inside their little psyche and it's going to percolate. And it'll pop up six years from now. And you'll hear about it. And you'll be told. 
This is what you did. This is what you missed. This is the way I was. This is what you didn't pick up on. Wow. I knew as a parent, if I'm going to enjoy my kids, I'm going to pray and make the best judgments I can make as a parent, knowing full well I can't predict the outcome much of the time. But I have to make the decision on what I as the grown-up think is the best decision in this case, knowing full well that my kids may wildly disagree. And all I can do is stick to my guns and give them all the love and affection I can give them so that they see that their old man is not just being a tyrant dictator, but in fact, he shows them he loves them, but he also makes decisions that he believes are in their welfare. And I don't worry about unseen psychological effects. My most recent book is Taught by Ten. And I talked about what I learned about raising my own kids. And I said, one of the things I really learned is I don't over-psychologize. And that's something that sounds weird coming from a psychologist, doesn't it? But I learned that. I learned if I'm going to enjoy my kids, if I'm going to love my kids, if I'm going to have the smoothest parenting experience, I'm not going to overanalyze and overinterpret. Weird coming from a shrink. I'm Dr. Ray. Don't touch that dial. Dr. Ray will be back. Hi friends, Janet Williams here. Join me every Wednesday on Women of Grace Live as I welcome new age researcher and blogger for Women of Grace, Sue Brinkman. Sue and I will be talking about all the wacky things that could distract you from your faith. Psychics, yoga, Reiki, crystals, acupuncture, Ouija boards, tarot cards, and astral traveling are just a few of the stranger things we discuss. That's why we call it Wacky Wednesday. So join us every Wednesday at 11 a.m. Eastern on EWTN Radio. Can a stressed brain lead to weight gain? I'm Chuck Gatica, and this is Journey Strong. When things go too right or too wrong in my life, I go for cookies or ice cream. How about you? A study in the journal Neuron indicates that chronic stress can make the brain crave sweet, comfort foods. Apparently, stress can override some of our brain's natural responses to eating. This leads to our eating comfort foods, which leads to a vicious circle of the brain needing to be continuously rewarded to eat a higher-calorie diet. This leads to more food intake with preferences for sweet foods. For this, you get weight gain and even obesity. The vicious circle continues. Avoiding a stress-filled life is important for so many health reasons. Eating healthy is critical every day, but we all get stressed. When that happens, double down on healthy eating and ditch the junk food. Check out the Journey Strong tab for more on this at the homepage of AveMariaRadio.net. Would you get on a plane that doesn't have a pilot? Investing in passive index mutual funds may present the same issue. The Ave Maria mutual funds are actively managed by seasoned investment professionals to help you meet your investment goals in a morally responsible way. Ave Maria funds are managed to conform to pro-life and pro-family values. Long-term investors could invest in the no-load Ave Maria mutual funds. You can learn more about the Ave Maria mutual funds at 866-AVE-MARIA or visit AveMariaFunds.com. We did not come here as enemies. We came only with friendly intentions to talk, to ask your aid. 
Thank you for joining me, Dr. Rigorini here. By the way, good Lord permitting, coming up rather rapidly on August. Let me double check my dates. I don't want to give you the wrong date here. August. I believe, yes. August 9th and 10th. Uh, we will, good Lord permitting, be in Columbus, Dominican University. Uh, St. Gabriel radio station in Columbus, our biggest city in Ohio. We'll be doing four tapings of Living Right with Dr. Ray, season number 13. It'll be the first shows of season number 13. Love the live audience. They ask questions. They take part in the bits. And, of course, you don't have to, but you're there, and we welcome you, and you, in my opinion, Adds so much energy to the show. If you wish to bring your kids, bring them. Sometimes we'll get a Catholic family comes in there with eight kids and they take up the whole row. It's tremendous. Sometimes I have fun with the kids too. So if you go to St. Gabriel Radio, that's stgabrielradio.com, you can sign up. They're already pushing it and they've already told me. They've got a fair number of folks signing up, so that's really kind of cool. There's no limit to the number. The shows are in the evening. You can come to one. You can come to two. You can come to both nights. A lot of times what happens is people come to the first one, which is usually around 5, 5.30, somewhere in there. And they'll stay. They didn't plan on staying, but they'll stay because they had a lot of fun. So if you'd like, just go to com and sign up. Um, that's it. Hope to hope to see you. Well, I'm getting pretty close to the end. I remember back when I first started at the mental health center in Columbiana County, Ohio. I just just not even gotten my license yet. I was um, a PhD, but no license. And I became, for whatever the reason, I became the go-to parenting guy, which set the trend. And one of the things I noticed was that very pervasive fear of psychological mistakes. Not mistakes like I lose my temper or mistakes like I yelled at you or mistakes like I'm inconsistent. No, no, no. It's unseen psychological mistakes. What am I doing that could have long-term repercussions that I can't know about? That's frightening. That's really frightening. And I dealt with so many parents that I, rather than giving them some kind of parenting guidance, I had to get them over their fears first. It's happening. It's happening even more so now than it was back then. Thanks for joining me here on The Doctor is In on this E-Person Monday with my producer man, Andrew Kruchek and Ave Maria Radio Communications and, and EWTN, Global Catholic Radio Network. Walk with God. That's not a psychological mistake. For information on Dr. Ray's presentations, books, and CDs, visit DRA.com and follow him on Facebook. The Doctor is In is a co-production of Ave Maria Radio and EWTN Radio and carried across the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network.